Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today, we're talking about blowholes, how they stay closed, and what comes out of them when they open. Blowholes are like the mobile showerheads of the ocean, in case you need to take a shower in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) They're actually for whales to breathe. So we'll find out how blowholes work and why scientists are studying the spray that comes out of them. Today's question comes from Noah. Hi, my name is Noah and I am six years old. And my question is, how do whales reveal their blowhole? And also, how do they not get filled up with water when they're swimming through their blowhole? That's a really interesting question. I mean, what does keep them from filling up with water? I know I can't keep water out of my own nose. So let's ask our listeners, how do you think that blowholes work? We'll give you a moment to think, and then we'll be back with the scientists who got close enough to see their secrets. Justine Hudson has one of the most amazing jobs on the planet. I study marine mammals, and I specifically study marine mammals in the Canadian Arctic. That means she gets to hang out with awesome creatures that live in the cold waters of northern Canada, like... Ring seals, belugas, and narwhals, walruses, and bowhead whales. I called Justine to answer Noah's question, because her research has gotten her so close to a whale's blowhole, she's been covered by the spray. So did she still need to bathe that night? That's really the question. <laughs> so what's the answer to Noah's question? Give us the the blowtown lowdown. <laughs> so the short answer would be that a blowhole is basically a whale's nose. So when it's at the surface, it has its nose open and it is able to exhale and inhale just like we are. And then right before it dives down into the water, it closes up its blowhole using muscles around the blowhole. And then that stops water from getting in. Okay, so instead of whales having to like lift up a flipper and hold their nose closed like this and then open them up, they've just got a single muscle that does that for them. Right, because they obviously can't swim and hold their noses at the same time. Yeah, me neither. That would be really useful. Whales are mammals just like we are, like humans are. So they breathe air. They don't breathe underwater like fish. They don't have gills. So they actually have to come up to the surface to be able to breathe. And that blowhole on top of their head makes it easier to do. So the blowhole is like the express lane of aquatic mammal breathing. Just blow and go. It's just a simple five-step process. (laughs) They come up, they exhale, and then they inhale, and then they close their blowhole, and then they dive back down into the water. Okay, but then, like, why is there always all that spray? Is that just part of breathing, or do they just want to do that so that whale watchers can find them? So that's a really good question. So when they come up to the surface and they exhale, they... They produce this cloud of, it's called blow. That cloud is a mixture of um, air that's inside of its lungs, but there's also a little bit of water in there. I think blow is a good word to describe what comes out of a blow hole. But wait, there's another word that Justine prefers to use, snot. 
you just know exactly what I'm talking about when I say snot. Like everyone knows what snot is. When you say blow, not everyone's gonna know what you're talking about, especially when you're talking about a marine mammal. Snot? So you're saying like all those whale showers are basically just snot rockets? (laughs) (laughs) It's not full on mucus. But according to scientists, you can call the wet mix that comes out of a whale nose snot. When Justine was training to become a scientist, she heard about something called a snot bot. And I had just happened to read this story about a snot bot. I don't know if you've ever heard about the snot bot. Um, I've not heard of the snot bot, but I'm extremely curious to learn what it does. Basically, they're scientists that fly drones through blow of large whales and they collect snot from their blowhole. <laughs> so scientists flying drones to collect whale snot. <laughs> I just let's just like step back and take a moment to reflect upon the things that scientists do just on a day-to-day basis. It's awesome. <laughs> and I thought that that sounded like the coolest project ever. So I told my supervisor that I wanted to go collect snot from beluga whales. And she's like, cool, go do it. And that's kind of how it started. (laughs) Wait, so when you're a scientist, you can just tell your boss, I would like to go collect some snot from the cutest little whales on the planet. And then the boss is like, okay, cool. Let me know how it goes. (laughs) I mean, there's an extremely practical reason behind collecting beluga whale snot. Besides needing a reason to sing Baby Beluga? No, it's actually because of climate change and shipping, moving stuff by boat around the world. We wanted to look at shipping because the Arctic is warming because of climate change, and because of climate change, the ice-free season is getting longer, and it's predicted that more ships are going to be traveling through the Arctic, and this, of course, can have an impact on marine mammals that are living in the Arctic. Okay, so melting ice from climate change equals more boats in the Arctic Sea. Yeah, and that's concerning because boats make noise and they can also hit whales. This is already a common problem for whales who live in warmer waters, but Arctic whales have not experienced it as much. So scientists want to see how these whales are reacting to it. That makes sense, but why do you need to collect whale snot for that? I decided to collect snot because in snot, you can measure a hormone called cortisol and that's related to stress. Basically, Justine wanted to try and measure this hormone to see if shipping is having a bad effect on the whales. Oh, okay. So snot can tell you more than if whales just have a runny nose or maybe are allergic to dust or something. But how how do you collect it? Do you use flying robots like before? Well, Justine came up with a plan to collect whale snot without the flying drones. But to do it, she had to get on a plane. So I flew up to Churchill, Manitoba, which is this really beautiful, unique place. That's where around 54,000 beluga whales live. That's like a lot of beluga whales. And Churchill is also home to a variety of other awesome Arctic animals. It's known as the polar bear capital of the world. So you can go there and you can see polar bears up close. You can go see thousands of beluga whales. You can see Arctic foxes, caribou. All right, so you can see all the awesome things that 
like being cold. <laughs> totally. Churchill is on a big inland sea that's about halfway between the U.S. and Canadian border and the North Pole. So it's like super cold. And we got onto a boat every day for a month. Justine and her research assistant had a small boat that was about 16 feet long or five meters, about the length of a beluga whale. What kind of boat? Like a rowboat, maybe one of those stand-up paddle boards? No, it's one of those inflatable rubber boats with a motor. And we went out onto the water and we would find groups of beluga whales. And we would approach them, but then turn off our engines, and then they would approach us. And so the belugas would, like, cuddle up to the boat? Yeah, they seem pretty friendly. That's so cute. And we had this really long pole that had a little petri dish at the end of it. And what we would do is we would put that pole with the petri dish over the blowhole of the whales as they came to the surface. The setup was kind of like a selfie stick with a clear plastic dish at the end of it instead of a smartphone. So they're literally holding it above the blowhole like somebody waiting for a baby to blow their nose. Exactly. And as they exhaled and they, you know, released that plume of blow, we would collect that sample. The first time Justine did this was actually the first time anyone had collected snot from a beluga whale. So the fact that it happened was a big success. It's like, yay, I got snot! Lots and lots of snot, and not just on the Petri dish. As the day goes on, you get covered in, in beluga blow. Like, your sunglasses are just dotted with little snot particles. But it's, it's okay, because it's super exciting. <laughs> it's like the snot collector badge of honor. You know it's been a good day when you're wiping snot particles off your glasses. <laughs> so what happens to the snot once it's been collected? So once we collect a sample on the boat, we put the lid on the petri dish, wrap it up, put it in a cooler, and then at the end of our field season, we fly it back down to Winnipeg, which is where I'm located. When she was back in the lab, Justine tested each sample to see how much cortisol was in it. So she could see whether or not the whales were being stressed out by boats, right? Right. But first, she had a big problem. A problem that has to do with how a blowhole closes. When a beluga is just at the surface, when its blowhole is closed, the blowhole forms like the shape of a bowl and water sits on top of the blowhole. So the muscles that close the blowhole are beneath the opening? Yeah, it's kind of like if you had a soup bowl that opened up at the bottom. So the blowhole holds water when it's closed. So when it actually exhales, it blows out its snot onto our petri dish, but it also blows out a bunch of water. And we're not able to tell how much water is in our sample. Not being able to tell what's blow and what's water is a big problem. Why? Basically, it means that they can't tell how much of the stress hormone in the snot has been watered down or diluted. Oh, so like, if you wanted to measure how much food coloring was in a glass of water, you'd have to know how much water was in the glass and then divide it out. But if you don't know how much water is in the glass, then you just can't do the math. Yeah, you can't even make an equation. So Justine knew this was going to be an issue thanks to other scientists' experiments with whale snot. So we measured something called urea um, to try to use that as a way to correct for the amount of water in a sample. 
Justine hoped that doing this step could help make her equation work. Urea is a chemical compound found in pee. Oh, so urine, urea. I guess when you're doing a snot experiment, you might as well just stick in some pee. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did it work? No. Unfortunately, we couldn't say one way or the other if it worked. So it was a no-go on the water versus blow. Does that mean the experiment failed? Technically speaking, yes. But even though Justine wasn't able to answer her question about whether shipping affected beluga whales, she did accomplish a lot. Um, one of the biggest things that I learned with this project is that sometimes you're not able to answer your question, but just because you have a project that didn't go the way you wanted it to doesn't mean that you didn't advance the, the knowledge or the, the field. So in her experiment, Justine proved that you can collect snot samples from a beluga whale in an easy and some would say fun way. <laughs> so that helps other scientists who are really just beginning to study whale snot as a way to understand how whales are doing in the wild. So getting sprayed with snot wasn't all for naught. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Justine gets to call herself a professional snot collector and work in one of the most amazing places on earth. Honestly, being up there made me feel like I've made the right decisions in life. Um, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. Studying Arctic marine mammals is one of the most amazing things. I feel very lucky. tried something that didn't work? It doesn't have to be a science experiment, but really just anything in your life. Even though you didn't accomplish what you set out to do, you probably learned something from the experience. So make a list of your own failed experiments. Then next to each one, write down something that you learned from them. You might be surprised that those failures have taught you some pretty important lessons. Thanks to Justine Hudson, marine mammal research technician at the University of Manitoba. A very special thanks to Noah for sending in his great question, and Zara Soar for help with research on this episode. Sarah Lentz is our head of partnerships and designed the episode art. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this episode. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I made all of the music. Thanks so much for listening, and join us next time for more stories of science discovery.